Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Brace for Impact. I am your host, Nate the Eppingrate, the Impact Player of Wrestle Attic Radio. And guys, we're starting off with a very interesting and very packed show here. So packed that I actually had to condense one of the matches down to a few notes. And I'll explain why during the show. There has been a unfortunate event that happened at the show and a big time debut that happened in this show. So let's get right into talking about it. It's Genesis 2005, which took place on November 13th, 2005. Buy rates of 20,000 down from Bound for Glory, but the fan attendance was 900 which really does help that it shows that TNA is growing with the fans in that fan base. So let's go over one of the unfortunate circumstances that happened on this day. Earlier in the day, the wrestling world was saddened to learn that a legend known as Eddie Guerrero passed away during that time. Eddie Guerrero was contracted with WWE and there was a lot of talk about what was going on with his future going forward. There was talks about him battling against Batista and winning the world title. Uh, there's been talks about the title actually changing to Randy Orton. And I think people have actually confirmed that it was going to be Randy Orton who was going to win the title. Although some people would have been okay with Eddie Guerrero winning the world title as well. But... This was a very tough pill to swallow for a lot of people because Eddie Guerrero was majorly a locker room leader and he influenced and he touched so many people in the wrestling world. And that shows during the show here. Uh, throughout the show, you'll hear chants of Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. He had such a big impact on the wrestling community with his huge personality his absolute off the chart charisma and his amazing wrestling skills I mean honestly there will never be another Eddie Guerrero and I also will say that it's one of the things that I've gone back and watched the Dark Side of the Rings episode where they're talking about the Chris Benoit incident and the first part talks about his uh, Benoit's relationship with Eddie and even reveals some new details about Eddie Guerrero's passing. Uh, one of which I didn't know was that Chavo actually held Eddie in his arms when he passed, which really does add such a huge, huge emotional moment for that and one of the things that really out was a lot of people thought it was maybe just like a relapse or they thought it was steroids unfortunately it was heart failure that caused Eddie Guerrero to pass away so that was one of the tough things that really made you know watching the show 
a bit a bit tougher to watch because you had to remember that was the same day that Eddie passed. And still to this day, we're about 17 years after his passing uh, in November, in about a couple months, actually. And it still doesn't feel like that long ago that Raw did the tribute show and then they had a SmackDown tribute show to Eddie Guerrero. Uh, he was just coming off of a feud with uh, Batista. He also had a feud with Rey Mysterio. 2005 for WWE was a very interesting year. And um, it was very interesting to see the character of Eddie kind of in this kind of roller coaster deal. There were some parts of it where you know he was going heel. He was kind of funny, but at the same time, just a very dark and twisted side that I've never seen in that character so now we go into talking about the show and first first things first i gotta talk about the uh the the pre-show because one thing that stood out to me was that shark boy picked up another victory here on the show defeating nigel mcginnis of all people let me repeat that Shark Boy defeated Nigel McGuinness on a pre-show matchup. That just blows my mind because eventually Nigel McGuinness will come to TNA uh, under a different character name. But again, it's just like, wow, they had Nigel McGuinness and they had him fed to Shark Boy. <laughs> that's, that's kind of surreal to think about. Also, the Diamonds in the Rough, they defeated... Lance Hoyt and the Naturals, a six-man tag team match in the pre-show. So, going from that to the show itself, the opening to the show was very interesting because they talk about Genesis. They talk about the beginning of the end, and they also have these clips of presidential speeches by people like uh, John F. Kennedy. And Bill Clinton, where they talk about you know a new beginning, it's really kind of surreal to watch that and just have that combined a bit with wrestling. But it's also kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, I understand why they kind of tied it all together because a lot of these speeches from you know older times had very powerful messages, so that just worked out perfectly. Uh, they were showing the world title change that took place on an episode of Impact where Jeff Jarrett regained the title from Rhino on a special two-hour edition of Impact. During that show, they also had an Ultimate X rematch, where P.D. Williams won the matchup properly, and he earned his right to face AJ Styles at the show for the X Division Championship. So we go from this opening to the first match, well, kind of. And I'll explain why. First thing that happens is Raven comes out. And he gets into the ring. And Larry Zabisco's in the ring. He is flanked by security. Basically telling Raven, you have two options. You can either A, be released from your contract and we'll pay you out for it. Or B, you can stay with TNA. But I guarantee you, I will make your wrestling life living hell. Uh, Raven literally decided to flip off Larry Zabisco. 
Larry Zbysko made this deal where he talks about how, you know, what's this change of attitude? You know, is there some kind of girl that's, you know, behind it? Raven gets a little hurt, you know, butthurt by that. And Larry Zbysko is like, okay, fine. You want to stick around? Here's your personal hell. And out comes PJ Palaco, formerly known as Just Incredible. So we get an ECW matchup here in TNA. Very interesting. Uh, honestly, though, this matchup was not at all worth being on the card because it was a lot of a whole lot of nothing. But it felt like it just dragged for so long. We get some strikes by these guys. Uh, we see Raven locking a guillotine choke, but uh, PJ does a nice knee counter to the head of Raven that helps him get out of the you know guillotine choke. PJ also does like a baseball slide into the corner as Raven is seated in the corner. I thought that was a really cool spot. He also does some DX chops for some reason. I, <laughs> I mean, they don't bring DX back until another year, but it's good to know that Justin Credible was such a fan of DX. Why not? We get a Dragon Sleeper, uh, Cassie Riley. He gets involved in this, but gets Singapore caned by PJ. Raven does his comebacks. He does some punches, some Brody lines. Uh, corner, corner bulldog. Uh, we get a, he counters the super kick that PJ attempts to do and locks in the ankle lock. PJ hits a running face buster, and then we see the Raven effect DDT for the one, two, three. That's it. The match is over after five minutes and 45 seconds that I will never get back. This was a D matchup. This was not a failing matchup, but I literally felt like there was nothing that really went into this matchup. It just felt like a whole lot of nothing. This did not need to be on the show. This did not need to be on the card. This was just a total waste of time, in my opinion. And it just one of those things where Raven matches continue to be so unfortunately bad in my watching experience but it is what it is so Shane Douglas throughout all the backstage deals except for probably one Shane Douglas is talking about there being a huge talent acquisition and he's basically asking all the people like oh what are your thoughts on this what do you think it's going to be what do you think it's going to be blah 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 and it kind of starts here and BG James goes on his rant of calling WWE a sinking ship. Basically says that, you know, like he tells Shane Douglas, if you were on the Titanic, you wouldn't stay on the ship, right? Yeah, no, you would jump off the first opportunity that you get. And he says, just make sure you know one thing, VM, women and children first. And all I thought to myself was, wow, that is quite a line. And... Conan basically is just saying that I don't care about Kip James. I don't want to talk about Kip James. I just want to fight. Which goes into the next matchup, which is a hockey stick fight with Kip James as the guest referee. Team Canada versus the three live crew. So they recap again the whole deal with 
three live crew and Kip James putting a little bit of a wedge in the deal. But Kip James is starting to build up that trust with BG James, with R-Truth. And Conan is just not really buying it. He's just like, I do not trust you, dog. I do not want you anywhere near me. Just, 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 just fuck off, basically, is what he's saying. But in the meantime, they're also dealing with Team Canada. And they want to kind of put a you know final staple in this. And they plan to do that with this hockey stick fight. Now, some people might be asking, what is a hockey stick fight? So this is one where I definitely feel like this was a Vince Russo idea. And you might have guessed it. Poles in the corners and hockey sticks in these poles. There's six poles, six hockey sticks where people could just go to the corner. They kind of shimmy up the pole a little bit and then pull the hockey stick out of the hole, out of the pole. Just about it. And they make the rules seem like, well, first person to use the hockey stick, you know, wins, I guess. But then they make it complicated because they have tag rules applying. They have a, a pinfall deal going on here, which they never mentioned. It's like, what? There's so many different rules that we didn't know were going on with it. This was supposed this is now a tag match, and you're supposed to deal. And throughout the matchup, they mentioned that oh this person's illegal so he can use the hockey stick but they're not going to win with their team it's like that doesn't make sense at all this match is so confusing um ey is slowly building more towards that paranoia gimmick which i am loving and it just pyro went off and eric young's just like ah! and he just just and everybody else is just kind of like, dude, stop being paranoid. Just stop it. Uh, Real Life Crew, they start doing their whole intro deal. But Conan also pays a little bit of homage to Eddie Guerrero. Basically saying, you know, love your brother, miss you. And fans are chanting for Eddie. We see the Canadians try to go for the hockey sticks first. But they get cut off by BG, Truth, and Conan. We get kind of the classic deal of, you know, uh, BG doing his dancing and his knee drop deal. Get some R-Truth moments. Team Canada kind of beat down three live crew. There was actually a very nice neck breaker by A1, which I have gone on the record to say that I've been impressed with A1. Why I have had nothing but horrible things to think about him is kind of beyond me, but he's actually doing, again, okay. He's not screwing up. He's not doing anything horrible. He's just not fully good, is the thing. He's just doing brief moments of power, brief moments of deal, and just kind of doing just these brief moments, which I thought was kind of good. Less is more. Uh, we get a Spagingo to the ramp. But on uh, Bobby Roode, which I thought that sucks. <laughs> uh, there comes a point where Eric Young goes up. He grabs a hockey stick, but he's also wearing like this wrestling helmet hat thing. And it looks like he's going to hit BG James. But Kip gets in the middle, grabs the hockey stick, breaks it over his knee. And he's basically just yelling at Eric Young. <laughs> he gets the hat. He tosses it out of the ring. And then Eric Young just tags out leaves and he's just kind of like 
man, I feel like, a, you know, it feels like my childhood again <laughs> because he feels like he got yelled at by a parent. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, there comes a point where he kind of yells at Kip for not counting fast enough. Uh, during this matchup, he kind of, Kip James just is very in the middle kind of deal, which is kind of what you would expect. He called everything down the middle. But in the end, though, he did help three live crew pick up the victory. When we see the go wide, the uh, leg drop to the crotch of Eric Young, but there's also hockey sticks in there because reasons. Um, they have a, <laughs> they do that. They pin Eric Young matches over and Conan and Kip kind of have a little, uh, fist bump moment towards like, yeah, we're cool. I give this one a C while it's not better than the, uh, first matchup with Raven and just incredible. This matchup definitely had a little more sustenance to kind of work with. I think that some of the comedy moments in there kind of made it better as well. But it's not better by that much, if I can be honest. So, backstage we have a promo with James Mitchell, who talks about, who, again, Shane Douglas mentions the acquisition. And what's funny about this is that James Mitchell basically says, doesn't matter who the acquisition is you probably think that you're just going to jump ahead and get a world title shot well i'm telling you this right now that if you try something like that you're going to receive a black hole slam to which i'm like well that's kind of ironic because that is kind of what happens with this with the person who debuts because the two actually do feud going into the future then he talks about sabu how the Monster Abyss is scared of barbed wire because it brought back like this traumatic moment in Abyss's you know childhood. But basically he says that he is not too worried that there will be no more Sabu after this matchup. And he takes an egg that has like toilet paper or something on it to kind of look like Sabu. And he basically says, this is Sabu's brain. And then he hands the egg over to Abyss. He's like, this is going to be Sabu's brain when he faces the monster Abyss. And Abyss just breaks the egg. It's like, well, certainly better than Kali squishing, you know, sports balls. Because eggs are a bit cheaper than sports balls, to be fair. So we go back to ringside. And... We see them kind of announce all the matches that are going to be happening during the deal. And we get the big reveal. Who is debuting in TNA? Who's, they've mentioned, jumping the ship from WWE to TNA. Big reveal is Christian Cage. So Christian, he comes out and he's cutting a promo about how, you know, he's here. How many people are asking, you know, are you going to go to TNA? Are you going to go to TNA? Why are you going to TNA? Which I kind of want to talk a little bit about this because I did some research on this. And some of the things I did not really know about Christian's release back in 2005 definitely kind of made me think, well, maybe WWE was not as good as I remembered back in 2005. So Christian mentions 
that during this deal, uh, he got sick and tired of seeing, you know, people basically dressing up as doctors and having their heads pull out of their asses, which he's referring to a JR skit that uh, Vince did where he's mocking JR's colonoscopy, I believe it was. And basically stating, you know, well, we found the problem, JR. You've had your head up your ass. To which I have very few laughable moments of that segment. That was just weird, to say the least. Um, and I dug a little bit deeper as to why Christian kind of left. And one of the things that he mentions during the promo is that he was actually offered pretty good substantial amount of money to stay where he was and what i mean by that is that he would stay in wwe but he would not have a different position within the company uh during 2005 he actually had a pretty decent year actually he had his matches with shelton benjamin he competed in money in the bank he actually had a feud with john cena he had a match with Booker T at Great American Bash. He was involved in the United States title feud a little bit. Um, his last match would have been at Taboo Tuesday had he been voted in by the fans. But that ultimately did not happen. Instead, it was a tag match with JBL against Rey Mysterio and Matt Hardy. Which was an interesting deal to say the least but basically Christian was reaching such a peak in his wrestling stature I mean he was definitely one of those guys who was just slowly just building up building up to something more that WWE apparently did not have any plans for him they probably were thinking that, you know, he's going to, you know, peak here, but then eventually fans are going to cool off on him. But no, they were, fans were getting behind him. When he was feuding with John Cena in the summer of 2005, people were behind him. They, I think they would have loved to have seen Christian win the WWE title off of John Cena. I truly believe that. But how it worked was that he reached that point where he was just feeling stale in WWE that he needed a refresh and TNA was that refresh that he definitely needed. Now, eventually, and this is not a spoiler because I mentioned this in the first episode, uh, Christian cage would eventually go on to win the NWA world heavyweight title. Some people have said like, well, it's not the same as the WWE title. Honestly, I would say that the, the NWA title is either on par or better than the WWE title because he has such a long lineage and so many great people have held that title like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Ricky Steamboat. So many people have held that NWA World Heavyweight title and for Christian to have his name in that conversation, that's saying a lot. So for anybody that thinks that the NWA World title is something that shouldn't be you know in the same class as the WWE title, the World Heavyweight title... I would say, yeah, you don't know wrestling like you think you do. (laughs) 
So he also went on to say how he remembers back in the early start of his um, career in in WWE, there were two companies. There was one that had, you know, a boring, stale kind of uh, programming. And then a new one where they had young and up-and-coming guys that were really going out there to really create something amazing. And now WWE is the one that is kind of old, stale, and boring. TNA is the new, I guess you could say, WWE for the time. So that's kind of one of the reasons why he came there. And, you know, he came in. He was still promoting himself as Captain Charisma, even though WWE tried to do like a trademark dispute with that, stating that a lot of their stuff had the Captain Charisma logo on. So they think they had the right to the, the file name, the trademark name, Captain Charisma. But Christian would very seldom use it later on. Instead, he would call himself the Instant Classic, which I love that name for him really works out nicely anytime i hear the phrase instant classic i think of christian so it did its job eventually team canada's coach demore and bobby rude they come out and they basically offer your christian a spot on team canada i mean coach demore is just kind of warming up to him and be like oh you remember when we had this deal with you know adam and they name drop so many people during these this deal basically stating you know hey remember when this happened and you know we were friends and blah blah so that's kind of what demore's trying to build off of and be like you should join us because we're cool like that so christian says give me time i'll think about it so by the end of the night christian will give a def- uh, definitive answer of whether he joins team canada or not We go backstage to a segment with Monty Brown. He basically is stating that you know he doesn't care about Christian Cage. He doesn't care about Jeff Hardy. He's going to be next in line. He's going to be the next NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Feel the pounce. Period. And we move on to the next matchup, which they described as a number one well, actually, they called it a contenders match between Jeff Hardy and Monty Brown. And honestly, the high package for this is pretty on par because literally Monty Brown is stating that he should be the next number one contender and he defies anyone to change his mind on that. Jeff Hardy, he wants a shot at the title. So these two are kind of brawling, basically showcasing that, hey, I should be the number one contender. No, I should be the number one contender. No, I should be the number one contender. And that's where this matchup comes to be. It's kind of one of these things where two bulls are going to be let loose and they're going to decipher who should be the next in line for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So it's pretty simple. I mean, simple is also the best way that I can describe this matchup. Uh, Hardy kind of starts off by just mocking Monty Brown. Also kind of looks like he's either had something to drink or he's done drugs he just looked like he was kind of out of it but kind of there at the same time if that makes sense uh monty brown hits a follow a slam we see hardy do a, a unique pin where he grabs the legs of monty brown and then he does the deal where he uh 
sets his legs on my Brown's legs and Brown's kind of like doing a back roll as he's doing it. So it's one of those unique pins that he does. My Brown has a belly to belly to Hardy uh, sending him from the ring to the outside, which I thought looked pretty good compared to the one that Abyss does. Whew, that's, that's a whole nother level. We see Monty Brown also troll Mike Tanay and Don West. He's basically saying, clear out of the way. I'm going to use this table. I'm going to use this announce table. It looks like he's going to throw Jeff Hardy into it, but then he throws Jeff Hardy into the ring. He's like, ha, 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 ha. No, no, that's not what's going to happen. I thought that was that was great. Jeff Hardy misses the whisper in the wind, but he's able to catch Monty Brown with a clothesline. He's mounting his comeback with a, a whisper in the wind. A reverse inseguri. He hits the uh, leg drop, hardy leg drop to the crotch. Excuse me. And then he hits a reverse twist of fate, which is the twist of fate, but instead of being a front lock, it's a uh, reverse uh, headlock, you could call it, I guess. He goes for the swanton, but he misses. My Brown hits the pounce. For the win, and Monty Brown is your new number one contender for the world heavyweight title of NWA. And honestly, I gave this one a B because the fact is that it was the right amount of time. They did the right amount of spots to make that matchup worth watching. So it was one of those things where it's like, I thought I could go low on it, but I found myself enjoying it a bit. So yeah, no, I was I was totally cool with that. So we go to the next deal, which is the Elimination X match. So how this works is that there are two teams, four members on each side. You just eliminate your opponents until your opposing team has no more people to work with, basically. So on one side, you want to eliminate all four, but on the same side, you could have one person eliminate. Or you could have two. Excuse me. Again. And that's kind of how it is. So this is the matchup that I had to kind of condense down a little bit. Because there was so much that happened during this matchup. You have high-flying moves. Fast-paced deals. You have double-team, triple-team. Just a lot of crazy stuff in here. So how I'm going to do this. And another reason why I'm doing this is because I want to talk more about the post-match deal so in this matchup we have the first elimination is Roderick Strong because Austin Aries hit him with a brain buster and then he hit a 450 splash after that Austin Aries gets distracted by oh geez I forgot to mention that (laughs) I forgot to mention that uh, it's going to be team ministries Alex Shelley Christopher Daniels Roderick Strong and Samoa Joe taking on the team of Austin Aries Chris Saban Matt Bentley and Sanjay Dunt. So I should definitely remember that. Uh, Aries gets eliminated by Christopher Daniels after being distracted by Samoa Joe with a devastating move known as the roll up. Next up, Sanjay Dunt gets eliminated by Alex Shelley after being locked in a border city stretch, is what they're calling it. And this move actually looked very very devastating and it's one of those things where early stage Alex Shelley 
is amazing. It's like he can wrestle circles around people and him being able to lock this move on Dunt the way that he did looked absolutely astonishing. After that, Alex Shelley gets eliminated by Matt Bentley after a super kick. Then we get to Samojo eliminating uh, Matt Bentley. This was crazy. So Christopher Daniels has Matt Bentley on his shoulders. I assume Matt Bentley was going to go for a victory roll or something like that. And Samojo just smacks Matt Bentley in the face, grabs him, and he hits the muscle buster off of Daniels' shoulders. That was that was insane and that was devastating. Uh, Smojo also locks in the Coquina clutch to ensure that he passes out. So all that's left on team ministry is Daniels and Joe on the other side is Chris Saban. Unfortunately, Chris Saban gets eliminated by Christopher Daniels after the angels wings. Although seemingly Samojo had that victory. After the match is over, Joe is just kind of like, hey, that was my pin. That that was my pin. And Daniel's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We won. That's all that matters in the end. And Joe's like, all right, fine. I'm just going to beat the living shit out of you. Say what? And he just kicks Daniel's in the face, gets him on the outside. He grabs a chair, smashes it across Daniel's face. He beats down Daniel's with that chair. He hits a muscle buster. And then he throws a chair in the ring and he hits a muscle buster onto the chair. This was insane. This was one of those moments where I started seeing a lot of interesting things that could be going on with Samojo. And literally, this is the dawn of Samojo the killer. A lot of people know him as the Samoan submission machine. This is literally where people are like, Joe's gonna kill you. Because he literally seemingly killed Christopher Daniels. It was insane to watch this. And it does put another kind of chapter in the storyline between Daniels and Joe. Where eventually they're going to face off against each other. It's going to be at least two shows away. But it's coming. It's coming. Um, we see Daniels taking off on a gurney. We see AJ Styles. He comes out onto the rampway to kind of watch. And Don West is actually told to go to the back, go to the ambulance, and see if there's any medical updates about Daniels. And all Don West revealed was that you know he's breathing, but very scarcely. They were worried that there's something going on with his neck. And he's not he's not moving at all. So it's one of those things where they really hyped up this injury. And they made Joe look like he was an absolute monster, which he is. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this matchup was about 23 minutes and 15 seconds. So can't exactly blame me for going a little bit shorter on this one. But... Either way, it was an A-quality matchup. Everything there was just great. Everybody looked great. Even if they were on a losing team, they still looked amazing. So after that, we get a, oh gosh, we get a Jeff Jarrett promo where basically he's talking about how TNA is going to keep bringing all these people in. He's going to bring in these people, and there are going to be people that are going to be let go, which is going to be funny because that's going to be a storyline for Eric Young in the future, which I'll cover that more 
within the upcoming year, actually, 2006, yeah. We're going to get Don't Fire Eric. So what I hate about these Jeff Jarrett promos is that he's literally bashing the company that he used to work for and basically making it seem like, oh, it's really horrible that we're going to have all these people coming from a different company, that we're going to have all these people that are going to, you know, take over spots and they're going to take everybody's deal and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, you used to work for that company and you held a strong, strong armed some officials for over $300,000. You have no right to say that it's a bad thing that these WWE people are coming over and they don't have the same, I guess, you know, background heat or, you know, background is you do, Jeff. Just no, no. But literally Chris Harris and James Storm, they are not too worried about Team 3D. They basically say that they're stepping stones to them. They're the greatest tag team in all the world and that they're going to have Team 3D be the next stepping stone that they make their mark on. Up next is the no disqualification matchup in which Sabu takes on Abyss. This matchup was good. I wish they would have done a little bit more with some of the weapons, but at the same time, I'm not fully complaining because it's still kind of a fun matchup to watch. We get some strikes early from these guys. Uh, We get a top rope Frankensteiner by Sabu. Oh my gosh, this looked insane. When Abyss came down onto the ring from that Frankensteiner, he literally bounced off of the ring. It looked like he was a pebble in a lake. It was intimidating, but it was also kind of cool. We see Abyss charging into a chair that was put into a corner that he wedged into. Sabu drops a flying uh, leg kick, and then he hits a springboard chair-assisted triple jump moonsault on Abyss. And then Sabu drops an F-bomb. He is basically looking to set up a table at ringside, and he tells somebody, get the fuck out of my way. I'm like, Sabu, they... And I was also kind of surprised, like, they left that in there completely uncensored. Wow. That, um... I was not expecting that at all. (laughs) We see Sabu hit an over-the-top rope flip leg drop onto Abyss through a table at ringside. Abyss, he's got his tacks and... Sabu brings in a steel chair that is wrapped in barbed wire. So people are kind of like, oh my gosh, we're going to get to see it. We're going to see Abyss react to barbed wire. And when Abyss turns around, he's freaking out like, oh no, I don't want to play with barbed wire. I'm scared. That's a PTSD thing. Pretty spot on Abyss impression. So it looks like Sabu's going to hit Abyss with the barbed wire chair. But James Mitchell uses his cane to grab the chair to stop that from happening. And we see Abyss hit Abyss, hit Sabu with a choke slam into the tax that he lays out. After that, Abyss tries to go for a frog splash onto Sabu, but 
Zebu moves out of the way and Abyss eats some tacks. Then we see a black hole slam onto the barbed wire chair by Abyss for the win. Abyss is not going to be playing with any barbed wire. He's just freaking out about that. He leaves. And this matchup I gave a B because while it had good moments, it was not their best hardcore deal. I think the next matchup's going to top that, in all honesty. Especially when you got the name Barbed Wire Massacre. Just saying. But, uh, yeah, I feel like they could have done more with this deal. I think they kind of did a lot of the striking a little too often. I think it would just benefit them more if they used a lot more of the weapons. But that's just me. We get a backstage segment where AJ Styles talks about Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe and what he did. He goes on to say that he respects Daniels. He doesn't like him. He's not friends with him. But he respects Daniels. And he said that Samoa Joe broke a hidden code that was in the X Division. And in all honesty, this is one of those things where somebody could bring up the actual code of wrestling, which is a very blatant, you know, rule number one, which is, you know, you're there to protect your opponent. You're there to protect yourself, but also your opponent. You guys are on the same equal level. So I'm wondering if it was something along those lines, because I can't think of anything else that could have been an unwritten rule between the two of them. Could have been something I could have asked when I had the Skype call with him, but I digress. So we get the next matchup, which is the X Division Championship. We have AJ Styles taking on PD Williams. And this matchup was exactly what I was expecting it to be, if not slightly better, because Styles and PD Williams are absolutely amazing. Bottom line, yeah, no, that's the way to put it. Uh, they actually showed highlights of a finisher match between PD Williams and AJ Styles. Styles would win if he hits a Styles Clash. P. Williams would win if he hit the Canadian Destroyer, and you can guess how that worked out. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Oh, Canada, which makes a return here. They go into the X-Factors, which is Petey Williams winning the Ultimate X, talking about the title, about having power and control, how Plant Jarrett has the NWA World Title, the World Tag Team Titles. Now, if they had the X Division title there, it's like a completely unstoppable deal. And then it's the Destroyer versus the Clash. Makes sense. AJ Styles, he hits a knee drop to the front of the head and the back of the head of P. Williams, which I thought was very, very brutal. Uh, we get a dive to the outside by Styles, and he actually hits the guardrail with his uh, butt. And then he goes into the guardrail again because P.E. Williams German suplexes him onto it. I thought, ooh, that's going to mess up the spine a little bit. Maybe not a little bit. Maybe a lot. Yeah, definitely a lot. So we see that. He hits another German suplex on the inside. He then follows that up by countering a phenomenal forearm by AJ Styles. He actually um, forces AJ Styles to slip 
and his neck seemingly hits the top rope. Then he does a slingshot Hurricane Rana to the outside. We get the classic O Canada deal where he has him in the Tree of Woe, and then he just steps on his balls. <laughs> AJ Styles with a Pele, Gut Buster, and then a Face Buster. Uh, P. Williams, he actually does an amazing counter to the backflip uh, springboard inverted DDT that AJ Styles does. He turns it around into a Northern Light suplex, which I thought was awesome. Uh, P. Williams, he goes for a diving Hurricane Rana, but Styles counters that with a pin attempt we see the styles clash countered into a ddt by pd williams a hurricane rana into a side russian leg sweep and then the sharpshooter by pd williams uh as aj styles is reaching out pd actually is able to hold on to the sharpshooter but grab one of aj's arms to prevent him from reaching the ropes which i thought was very very innovative and very cool we see a beautiful phenomenal forearm they fight on the top ropes and p williams goes for a uh, canadian destroyer but he gets countered aj styles is at the top rope it looks like p is going to go for a frankensteiner that gets countered into a super styles clash for the victory AJ Styles retains while looking at Samoa Joe on the rampway. And he's got a white towel draped over his shoulders with the blood of Christopher Daniels, dry blood on it. 10 minutes. No, this is 18 minutes and 20 seconds. I stand corrected. Really good matchup. A mat, a quality matchup. This is just a great matchup between these two guys. They killed it. They did an absolutely fantastic job. And they literally just showcase that the X Division is one of the best divisions in all of wrestling today. So Shane's backstage. He's talking to Team 3D and Rhino. And this kind of feels like a like an ECW kind of feel reunion to it. Because Shane is just talking about how it's going to be like, you know, majorly hardcore. How it's going to be violent. It's going to be crazy. And basically Billy Ray's like... Uh, what we did in ECW is basically child's play compared to what we're going to do to America's Most Wanted and Jeff Jarrett. He gives America's Most Wanted credit for putting them down. The problem is that they didn't make sure that he, they were dead. They kept. The, they made sure that they were down, but not out for the count, unfortunately. So we have that. We have Rhino saying that he's going to, excuse me, gore someone tonight. Ryan, uh, brother Devon does the oh my brother testify and then Bully Ray pays an homage to Eddie Guerrero we see him and brother Devon have wrist tape on and they have the they have the name Eddie on there to showcase you know how much he meant to them so we go from that to the match itself I was kind of surprised that this matchup was very physical, and this one does remind me a lot of the eight-man war that takes place at Destination X 2006 next year. But I feel like there was a more compelling story here. If they would have just made it like a regular matchup, then this matchup would have sucked. But the fact that they were just like, you know what, just let them loose. Let them go crazy on each other. Let them go absolutely insane. 
let them do that. It worked. They're brawling into the crowd. We see them throwing each other into walls and into chairs and just beating each other down with these weapons, uh, including a cheese grater. That got introduced in the matchup, which I thought, oh, no, I've seen where this goes. So uh, Bubba Ray, he actually, Brother Ray, actually, he does a cheese grater spot to uh, James Storm, and then eventually he has a cheese grater uh, wedged in his crotch via a low blow by, I believe it was Storm that did that. We see a Rhino driver to Jeff Jarrett on the rampway, which I thought, whoa, that was a brutal spot. Uh, he goes for the gore to Jeff Jarrett into a table that he sets up on the ramp, but James Storm does a super kick to stop that. We see them hit uh, move after move after move and then go for quick covers on each other. Uh, Rhino gores Jeff Jarrett. He looks like he's going to get the victory, but then Chris Harris stopped that from happening. And we get a couple more spots until Team 3D hits the 3D on Storm for the victory in a matchup that lasted... About 15 minutes and 48 seconds. Honestly, I gave this main event an A. I really liked what they did in the outside of the ring. I loved what they did in the inside of the ring. I loved the chemistry that all these te- these teams had with each other. It was a very enjoyable matchup. It was chaotic. It wasn't too chaotic. It was the right amount of chaos. It worked out very nicely. So, Rhino and Team 3D, they're celebrating... And then Jeff Jarrett hits Rhino with the guitar. He then has he that then tries to beat down Team 3D. It seems like America's was one, and Jeff Jarrett are outnumbered until Team Canada comes out, and then they make it more in their favor. It looks like they're going to help beat down Brother Ray and Brother Devon. Brother Devon looks like he's about to be sent through a table when out comes. Uh, Christian Cage, who liter- who clears out Team Canada and looks like he's going to be a part of Team Canada. He hugs to more, raises his arm, but then turns him around into the unprettier, uh, throws Jeff Jarrett off of the top rope. And then Brother Ray says, we need a different table. He throws the... T- the table that he was working with to the outside and just disintegrates. It Literally, the legs just break off. It just literally fell apart, and I thought that was one of the funniest things the entire night. <laughs> uh, they try to throw... Oh, they tried to throw Jeff Jarrett and Gail Kim through the table, but that's when Team Canada got involved. But in the end, we see a 3D onto... Jeff by Team 3D and Christian through a table and the show kind of ends like that. In all honesty, for a show that was in the wake of Eddie passing, this was a pretty good show. I gave this a B. It's one of those shows that it started off rough, but as time went on, the matches got better. The chemistry with a lot of these people got better. It turned into a show that really, really made for an amazing show. So, be quality show. I enjoyed it. And it showcased, of course, 
the debut of Christian and show and we got to see Team 3D debut basically in debut on pay-per-view I should say I'm sure that they had a match or two on impact but really cool to just see them get involved in this and as time goes on it gets more interesting with team 3d but i'll talk about more of that more when we get further down the line so that's going to do it for this edition of brace for impact hopefully you guys have enjoyed it and yeah i mean next one's going to be the final one for 2005 they're moving on to 2006 where things get a lot better in all honesty so definitely check out everybody at WrestleAttic Radio. Easiest way to do that is going to our Twitter handle, which is at attic underscore wrestle. You'll find all of the pages that connect uh, Brace for Impact, Young Lions Perspective, Kings of the Rings, and WrestleMania. You'll get their Twitter handles. You'll get their Instagrams. You'll get their best way to listen to the podcast which you can listen to every single one of these podcasts on major podcasting formats such as google podcasts itunes you just have to put in wrestling radio you're going to find us no problem we also have some great merchandise that you guys definitely should check out on teesprings it's definitely shows how much you appreciate the work that we put in so definitely take a chance to check out our merch and Buy something, buy something nice, whether it's like a, maybe it's like a sticker for your car or maybe a mug, something like that. We always appreciate the support. If you want to talk to me, you can check me out on my social media formats, which are at real FN game, which is on Twitter as well as Instagram. Check out the game changer podcast that I do on the side as well. Doing some crazy podcasts within the next couple weeks. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's going on here. I do not think so. So thank you guys so much for listening in. Stay safe. Stay positive, And know that you can be an impact player by making a difference in somebody's life. And it only takes a moment to do that. Thank you guys so much. See you next time. Bye-bye.